As if the McCrispy couldn't get any better, Bacon and Ranch just entered the chat. The Bacon Ranch McCrispy, available at participating McDonald's for a limited time. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hello and welcome back to the Thundersticks podcast. I'm your host Ben Kreider, and today. I'm going to be talking all about the Oklahoma City Blue and what Sam Presti had to talk about with them during his presser on Monday, and I'll be wrapping it all off with a very special offer from my good friends over at DraftKings Sportsbook. But guys, we're going to start today's episode a little differently, kind of on a serious note. Uh, If you've been part of Thunder Twitter for... Probably the last two years. Um, Brandon Dale has been one of the kindest guys on the platform and, and in the community. And um, earlier this week, he did pass away. I just want to send my condolences over to him, his family. I know he uh, he was actually engaged. So just prayers to everybody, man. Just make sure you check up on everybody. Uh, with Brandon, I never personally knew him. But every interaction I had with him online was very positive. I know when I first started out kind of trying to tap into just Thunder coverage on Twitter, I was I was happy to get any sort of traction, you know, and, and anybody interacting with my stuff. And I still very much am. But, you know, one of the first people that started interacting was actually Brandon. And I really appreciate that from him. And he's been doing great things. He was helping out kind of as uh, the like the sports editor over at UCO. And I know he was working on you know, other things like the, the Thundermentals podcast with Thomas. And he was looking to tap into other uh, kind of sources to write on Thunder. And, you know, he's had a passion, not just for Thunder, Chiefs, OU. I know he's touched many many different people, um, while, you know, he was out and about communicating. I was listening to, um, Topic Thunder earlier today, and they were just telling their stories about Brandon, and it was just an outpour of just positive experiences, you know, just great guy, um, and nothing really to complain about with him. He just, he's made everybody better, and, uh, I think that's what we all, you know, strive to be, um, it's one of these cases where, you know, you always need to make sure you check up on, up on people, right? Like everybody kind of has those moments um, and, you know, just asking, you know, if someone's okay, it can it can make that difference. So, you know, prayers being sent to Brandon, everybody else, a very positive part of Thunder Basketball. And it just goes to show, man, like even just knowing people on Twitter, you can create, you can really create those bonds. And I would say that Brandon you know, made a major impact. So condolences to him, his family. If you guys would like to show uh, any support, I believe that a GoFundMe will be set up in his name. A a charity is going to be selected. Um, So you can, you can search that through Twitter and actually later today, 6 p.m. If you are in the Oklahoma City area, the collective, there's going to be a little group um, meeting there. But once again, condolences man and just always make sure to check up on 
everybody. But pivoting on to kind of what we have in today's story, I'm going to be talking about the Oklahoma City Blue and what Sam Presti had to just say about the team. And as we talked about in the last podcast, Presti had a very long conference. Over two hours. I believe it clocked in at two hours and 13 minutes. That's a length of a full feature film, man. And he was just firing off questions. Did an excellent job. I I mentioned it in the last one too, but you could ask him just a simple question. And he will give you five minutes of just golden responses. And that's what he did in this one. Obviously, most of it is going to be set around, you know, roster changes. Who's going to be playing in summer league? How do you see the development of the team going? But there were a few G League stories sprinkled into the mix. And for me, I believe that the G League is awesome. I've talked about it all the time on here, but I think people need to start exploring the league a little bit more, man. There's always fun stories coming in and out, not just as players, not just organizationally, but even coaching-wise. There's always something that you can make a story out of. Rio Grande had an amazing season this year. Didn't pick up much traction in the national circles, but they had a spectacular season. Trevlin Queen was a monster. You look at Anthony Lamb. He rose up into the occasion. Cabin Gelly, after getting dropped from the NBA, made another resurgence. Dacian Nix looked like a beast, and now he's on a contract with the Rockets. And it's not just with... Rio Grande, it's with every single team, and it's with the Oklahoma City Blue as well. I had a hell of a fun time covering the team in year number two. Very pumped up to do it in year number three. And in a few quotes from Sam Presti, we've been able to kind of get a good gauge on where the franchise is currently at and what we can see moving forward in their future plans. And I have three big quotes from the press conference related to the Blue I think the first one I want to break down is what we saw though in call-ups and with Oklahoma City we've tended to see a pattern they don't like to go and get other players from other affiliations and you know I've thought about it like I think when you're breaking it down there is just a lot of skilled players in the G League and if you're going based on fit you could be going uh, out and about to try to find people. The main ones came from the bubble, probably. I'd say Tyler Cook and Devon Hall uh, were, or Dante Hall, excuse me. Those were the two big ones that I really enjoyed as center prospects. They didn't pick up either. Uh, and instead, they you know stuck to the blue last year, got Moses Brown, got Jalen Horde up on a two-way contract. And even this year, they only got OKC blue guys. And Presti explained why here is the quote on that that with any pretty much any other team because like you look this year when COVID was happening for every team in the league those guys wouldn't last but you guys had guys that would actually last or get contracts from another team is there something that changed like was there a conversation that was had that like you said that we need to start using the G League better in a better way or? no I mean I think what it is to be honest with you is like an accumulation of 14 years like it takes it it takes a lot of time to build that infrastructure it takes a lot of time to get the thing really vertical in your organization i mean that's it's one organization right the blue are a subset of us there's 
glue coaches here all the time, Thunder coaches over there, and vice versa, front office. It's one, it's one program. Um, but that's also the value of the style of play. Like we can bring those guys up and feel confident that they would know terminology, know the reads, understand the coverages. Um, that's that's that's. But it takes a lot of time to have organizational continuity in that way, right? The value of continuity there. That's why we've exclusively called up from there over the last three years because. Like we've been building to that for years, and you know, obviously, Mark being the head coach only helps that more. But um, did you know? It's not a. It's not. I wouldn't say it's a conversation. It was a conversation of, hey, we want one day to reshape the way the G League is is at least for us is 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 um is seen, and we're doing that. You know, and we'd rather take somebody that is a little less talented and put them in that position than somebody that we have to fly in and t- teach them everything, not just on the court, but off the court too. So as you all heard, that was Presti's kind of take on uh, the G League and kind of what we started to see in terms of call-ups. Um, as for you know the question, some of it did get chopped off. Basically, the ask was about how Everyone has seemed to contribute coming out of the OKC Blues system. And that's kind of a rarity as to why that is. You don't see a lot of franchises kind of pull so much success so consistently out of G League ranks. So the question was kind of centered around, like, why is that the case? And that's why Presti kind of dipped into talking about why he's exclusively stuck to the Oklahoma City Blue. Mentioned that for the last 14 years, they've kind of just been building upon these principles and, you know, the Blue have just turned into that subset of the Thunder, really. You know, they still play systematically almost identical. If you go to an Oklahoma City Blue game, and let's talk about this here, because next year is going to be a completely different roster. We'll have to see how things shake out. But last season, you saw basically the same sort of actions. You'd see someone like Jemias Ramsey or Xavier Simpson take you past the timeline. High ball screen set by DJ, maybe Jalen Horde as well. And then you just dash to the basket, see if you can hit the roll man. And if there's no available bucket around the basket, that's when you kick it back out. Same exact stuff happened with the Thunder this year. Look at SGA. Man led drives in the league for a reason. It was just that consistent driving towards the cup that really drove the offense. And once he was plugged out, you started to see a little bit of differences, of course, but a lot of the game is just isocentric. And that's how it's worked in the G League. Obviously, it's a bit different because G League centers are are not going to be as uh, capable as, you know, NBA level centers, of course, around the basket, but it's still the same kind of premise. And The same goes for roster construction as well. I'd say that the Blue are really big fans of getting those really inept ball handlers. Xavier's the big one. Chason Randall last season was a really good pickup for a distributor. And even guys like Ty Jerome too, when they dip back down. I think the same goes for how they like their wings. They really love shot creating wings. It didn't used to be that way. It used to be a lot of 3 and D. How are we able to... You know, stay multi-positional almost defensively and, and have someone who can sit in the corner. They had that, but they really put a lot of marbles into the scoring part of the game. That's where Rob Edwards has kind of been the main one in that archetype. Justin Jaworski this season was 
Coming out of Lafayette as a 50-40-90 club member, actually, he shot around 38% from downtown. Lindy Waters, that's the big one that obviously blew out any expectation this year. Uh, he was shooting like 50% from distance to begin like January with the blue. Um, and obviously he carved an NBA gig out of it. Then you have other defensive-oriented guys. Georgios Kalixakis is there. Same with Melvin Frazier Jr. when he was on the roster. Then you start dipping into kind of more of those like stretch fives almost dj wilson's the big one there uh, i wouldn't say jalen horde's really a stretch five he's more of just that like attack the basket at all costs and you love to see that uh, but dj was the main center where you got to see the offense flow pretty damn fluidly because he could hit the free throw line jumper or go around the post he wasn't much of a three-point shooter this season which is kind of ironic because that's where he made his name at Michigan but it still worked out man was averaging about 20 and 11 this year and had he not gotten injured I'm sure he would be with the Raptors right now probably on a two-year contract so he was hooping out of his mind I think this kind of Shows you, though, that, you know, why they're able to translate so well. They have the same exact sort of roster construction, same sort of plays. And because of it, you're able to transition to the next level. And it's more of a seamless fit because uh, you are sort of adjusted to that play. Look at guys such as Lou Dort and his move up to the big leagues. Moses Brown and his movement up. Jalen Horde. And then even some of the guys that we saw in the final games of the season. Olivier Sars in that group too. Lindy Waters is in that group. Great, great success stories have come from them. And even for blue guys that didn't stay in Thunder ranks, so they didn't get the call up. They've been really good. Omer Yurt Sevens with the Heat on a very good contract. Antonius Cleveland is with the Illawarra Hawks in the NBL right now. He's one of their best players. Chase on Randalls with the New Zealand Breakers of the NBL. It breeds a lot of success once you step foot in the Thunder organization. And that's why you go in house with it because there's not many changes and you're really able to kind of keep them on the same page. He said that, you know, you'd rather go after somebody that's a little less talented in, uh, you know, maybe a blue player than a more talented guy not used to the system. That's one where I, I don't know necessarily if that's the way I'd go about it. If you are sold that someone else in the G League is an NBA level player, I think you should go for it if you're not confident in the blue guys. But everyone they called up from the blue this year seemed to do a hell of a job. You can't really knock the philosophy because it has worked. Um, but I guess that does kind of explain why exclusively the last three years. That is why they've gone to the Oklahoma City Blue. And they've gone to multiple different guys from the Blue in this in particular season. We saw four different guys get picked up in January. Actually, it's probably closer to December, but... Four guys due to hardship exceptions. Later on, you started to see more players get extra opportunities. Olivier Saar got a second 10-day. Then he got a two-way deal. Lindy Waters got the call up. And then they closed the season out by, you know, re-signing Jalen Horde again. But they brought back Xavier Simpson, Melvin Frazier Jr., and Yorgos Kalixakis to 10-day deals. So in all, I think they actually signed, like, seven different dudes this year to 10 days that came from the blue. That's excluding uh, Mamadi Daikite 
in that list. But two of them in particular I want to discuss, Xavier Simpson and Melvin Frazier Jr. If you guys remember during Winter Showcase Cup play, Simpson was playing out of his mind. He had a very big game in the Winter Showcase playoffs, was kind of able to propel them to the finals, even though he really couldn't shoot a three. Assist levels were off the charts. And for Melvin Frazier Jr., he was able to drop 15 points consistently with the Oklahoma City Blue. And whenever you start to see Thunder guys drop to the injury list over the, the last winter, I had the podcast where I was breaking down who I thought would get the call up. In that list, Melvin Frazier Jr. was number one for me, and I had Xavier Simpson kind of as one of those sneaky pickups. Thought that he was a valuable passer, but positionally, they already had a lot of point guards, so I don't know if it really made that much sense. Found out, though, from the press conference that both Melvin Frazier Jr. and Xavier Simpson were lined up to sign 10-day contracts with the Thunder in January. However, they fell through because they had COVID. Here's the quote from Sam. Four games out of 82. Um, we had some of those guys who we felt should have got called up during the year. We, in fact, we had Melvin Frazier coming up during COVID, and he had COVID. <laughs> so and Xavier Simpson too. So those are two guys that, and for a guy that's in the G League, you know, to be on the cusp of signing that contract, and then not be able to get that opportunity, we told ourselves, okay, we gotta, we gotta see if we can help that situation. Um, but I would have liked to have gotten to that sooner, quite frankly. And we, and we didn't. And then we got in a situation where we're in four games left in the season and we decided to give all the minutes to those guys. That's, that's, you know, that's kind of the way it was for us. So that was initially a question kind of centered around just the hardship guys and like how, you know, the decision was made to sign them, when they were signed and like why they were kind of front loaded so many minutes like the last four games like Simpson was averaging about 40 minutes per game and I think he was leading the the NBA like touches or something it was it was a wild week for the Thunder to close the season out and the same really happened for like all four of the assignments I know Veet was given a crap ton of minutes too rotationally it was kind of a disaster but it gave them a lot of reps so the question was sort of like why did they why did Sam do it when he did it? And he really didn't divert it. He didn't tackle it very head on, but he did kind of mention that like he wished he handled it better. I will say in the game, I got to uh, do media availability against the Hornets, I believe uh, like second week of March or something. I asked Dagnault, you know, if they were interested in a hardship deal, like you start to see a lot of injuries. Have you looked into it? Mark said that he talked over it, and that's been a discussion that was that was had with Sam. But he wasn't uh, really that interested by it, and he really wanted to kind of evaluate who was on the floor now. And they waited until the final week to finally pull the trigger on some of these guys. So with Yorgos and Jalen, I think those are two pickups that didn't come with any strings attached. Like they really liked them. With Xavier and Melvin Frazier. Those are two where they definitely earned it too. Um, but I think they were just being a good like good franchise. Like a little bit of like, hey, you did earn this opportunity. We're going to give you that NBA contract. Because the way that I view it is 
in the G League, you have to be insanely skilled to even get a taste of the NBA level. You can't be a good G League player and make that NBA contract. You have to be great in an area. And with Xavier and Melvin, they both have been great in the G League. For Xavier, last two seasons, he has been an excellent point guard, one of the best decision makers in the entire G League. And then he started to kind of gain that confidence to where he's taking post hooks like it's nobody's business. Sometimes he'll step it out to the three-point line. And with Melvin, he's been a star. You know, with Lakeland, he was ridiculous. He was getting steals like nothing. And the three ball was working. With the Blue and Wolves this year, he was still very consistent. And and they got that contract. So when they gave out that call up in December, in, in January, that is years and years of dedication paying off. But it got axed because of health and safety protocols. That has to be one of the biggest stingers of all time. And they had to go right back to the drawing board and continue to work. With Simpson, he continued to work on OKC Blue Grounds. And even if he wasn't in the initial pack to be signed in January, by all means, he was probably the best dude suited up in a blue uniform to end the season. And with Melvin, he got traded, actually, in February for Robert Woodard II. And Woodard, about a week later, got signed to a two-way deal by the, the Spurs. So that tells you not only the value um, that Rob Rob Woodard had for the blue, but how good of an eye Nazi Muhammad had because he got picked up not even two weeks later by San Antonio. Anyways, Melvin continued to play with Iowa. He was one of the primary reasons the blue actually missed the playoffs this year, but it turned out to be a blessing that he did that because Iowa missed the playoffs, the blue missed the playoffs, and that contract came in for them basically at the exact same time that playoffs would have started had the Wolves or the Blue punch their ticket in. So you got to see them both run some sets. For Simpson, you got to see his passing ability at full form. You know, he only ended up playing four games, but you have to remember, like, the dude damn near dropped 150 minutes. I think he played over 150 minutes in that week, and he finished it out by averaging 11 points, five rebounds, and I think it was up to... Uh, almost six assists in those games yeah seven and a half assists my goodness so he was really turning on in those games and then for melvin i mean melvin did not have a good 10 day deal he uh, he struggled and it sucks because you saw a lot of people on twitter not too fond of his play um and you know he wasn't he wasn't that established he shot less than five percent from three and 27% from the field. That doesn't tell you the story with Melvin, though. I think that, you know, he got to play three games, and in all three of them, he just caught that funk. He's one of those guys that is not going to wow you athletically. He's a pretty stiff player, and that leads to him, you know, maybe not being the best in terms of uh, what he's able to do on the ball, but he's still a very smart player, and I think he was just kind of out of his element for a little bit there. You know, the way that I've always viewed Melvin is he's like a free safety. He's very good at roaming the floor, and he can cause a ton of havoc. He was one of the more passive players on the floor in those closing three games, and he wasn't closing out that well. He wasn't always in the defensive stance he needed to be in, and he got exploited because of it, and the offense also wasn't there for him, but I'm very happy that he got the chance. This was someone that 
I think has deserved that call up for four years, even when he was on an NBA deal with the the Magic. They didn't play him in the NBA. It was insane how badly he was handled by the Magic, dude. The Magic in the mid to late 2010s was not a good team when you're talking about how they were managed, right? Um, but it was it was nice to see them back, and same goes for everybody. I said it, you know, back in March. I thought they should have pulled out those hardship deals earlier because you can start to get those diamonds out. Had they had done that last year, maybe Omer was closing out the season as a bench prospect. Instead, you don't see him. You see him in a Miami Heat jersey, and he was very good when Bam was kind of out of the picture. But they didn't do that. I think when you kind of consider, you know, how they've loved to go in-house, all these guys have been in-house and, you know, they've wanted to kind of give them an opportunity again. It makes sense why uh, the scheduling was done as such. But that was kind of the take on the hardship deals. Once again, I think that if you're going to do it again, you start kind of what they did with um, with Charlie Brown Jr. And before that, Justin Robinson. Justin Robinson had two 10-day contracts. They actually got him from the Delaware Bluecoats. So, you know, they, they definitely valued Justin a lot. Uh, but give him that chance to get those two 10-day deals out the way. When you have all those injuries, it doesn't matter. And then you can make that decision on, hey, let's give this guy a two-way or let's give him a two-year contract with a non-guaranteed second year because that gives you a lot of room to play with. And it basically secures you a free agent prospect before he's able to hit the market, which is going to be very beneficial for you moving into your training camp. I'm going to round things out, though, with what we heard about where they might be playing, not just in the training camps, but in general next year. It's going to be a big one. But first, I want to let you guys know about a very special offer going on with my good friends over at DraftKings Sportsbook. The NBA playoffs are back, and that means next-level basketball. Get in on the first round action with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. This week, new customers can bet $5 on any team to win and get $150 in free bets instantly. You win no matter what. All DraftKings Sportsbook customers can also bet during the first round with same game parlays. Combine multiple bets from the same game for a bigger payout. The more legs you add, the more money you can win. Plus, place a same game parlay each day with three or more legs and get up to $25 in free bets back if one leg doesn't hit. Here's what you have to do for the offer. Go ahead and download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN, bet $5 on any NBA team to win their game during the first round of the playoffs, and get $150 in free bets instantly. That's promo code TBPN at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Moving on though, guys. I want to talk about the last quote we got from the Sam Presti Blue Talk. And this is arguably one of the biggest quotes we got from Monday's conference. Now, 
Presty said in this quote that like no one cares, but we're about an hour 30 into the com- um, conference. I definitely care. You know, if you were a G League fan, this is very big news for the Oklahoma City Blue. And here that is. Do you think how close the teams are helps in a way? Because like yeah. the teams that aren't yes. even the same team. A- absolutely. I mean, we have a challenge on our hands because the, the, the NBA or the G League doesn't want us playing in our arena next year. So, um, you know, conversation probably not for the public, but, like, it is an NBA arena, so it should be good enough for the G League. But I don't get into that. Uh, it's just, you know, to me it's about development is about players. It's about players. It's what's best for the players. We have NBA facilities Everyone loves playing in our facilities, a hotel right there. You know, I understand the G League has a, has a view on how they want to be perceived, but, like, I mean, I wouldn't want to sacrifice the environment for our players because, you know, we have enough people in the stands. Like, I get it. We'll try to get some more people there for the G League games if that's the key, but the G League is for development and to help our, our, our parent team have them be ready for that. So I'm. That's how I look at it. But well, I'll, I'll fill you in once we know exactly how that's going to go. But um, we got to find a solution there. It's not. We're not um, a major metropolitan city. City where there's a million small venues everywhere, and you know we have designs on maybe potentially doing something locally where we build our own to have our own G League facility. Um, but we can't do that. And execute a plan like that that would be great for the community if we're renting everywhere. So, again, these are not issues that people really care about, but we're an hour and a half in, so that's where we are. So that was a big drop um, from the blue batch right there. The blue could be relocating, and this is one where it definitely sounds like, you know for a fact, you can say for a fact that the NBA and the NBA G League do not want the Thunder or the blue playing in the Paycom Center again. I don't know if it means it's entirely off the table, but the way that it sounded, it definitely looks like they want them gone. And this can be chalked up to just a variety of different things. I think that uh, when you break down, you know, just in general, they're the only team playing in their NBA arena right now. And the branding is not very high level, right? Like all these other teams, they have their own stadium, they have their own complex where it's maybe not as big of an arena and kind of the whole like lower bowl is going to be filled out a little bit. Blue stadium is different because that 100 section is pretty damn big. And it's so big to the point that, you know, they don't even utilize the half that gets the TV time. You know, the only sections that Phil stands in, unless it's like, you know, field trip day, would be the ones where the logo's facing you. And obviously that's not going to be the one in the camera eye. So what they did was they made like a retractable wall that said OKC Blue on it. I thought it was really cool personally, but I'm going to guess the G League didn't think it was that cool. And on top of it, just due to them sharing the arena, they never stripped the hardwood for like OKC Blue. So I think that's clearly something. Another one is just the ticket sales in general. It wasn't like no one was at these games, but I think if you were to put like the the attendance numbers, even though they're not publicly available, down, the blue would be probably in that back end. And it's not just due to like the nature of the arena and all the stuff that's going on in the arena itself, but they just 
didn't ever have ideal times. You look at the Blue and the Thunder season. One of the things that sounded awesome at the time was that they would share the stadium 15 different times this year. That's winter showcase and regular season. That's 15 different games where you can watch the Blue and then right after that, the Thunder are going to play. That's great stuff. And that leads to being able to have a guy play with the Blue one night, move up to the Thunder. That happened plenty of times this year. And it gives you that flexibility that you'd like. However, when it comes to the G League and the business model they have, they want to be optimizing you know, the attention coming their way. Them playing at 11 a.m. and 12 p.m. is not going to be great, I don't think. Uh, that's both on the... Uh, like live streaming front and in attendance front. Like if it's a Tuesday at 11 a.m., a lot of people have to work. And if there's a Thunder game at 6 p.m. that same day and Thunder tickets are cheap, very cheap, they're going to go to the Thunder game. It fits their schedule more. And in some cases, those are actually better deals. It's a $10 ticket for the G League games um, on most occasions. And some Thunder tickets you can get at like $3.00. Uh, depending on what website you end up using to pick those up. So I think that's kind of the big thing. Um, you know, it's not maybe the greatest in terms of getting the money through, but developmentally, you got to look at it like the G League is meant to get guys to the NBA level. And the Thunder have clearly established that they like having the G League close to home because it allows them to get more time at the NBA level. And it kind of maximizes the potential they can have at the NBA. And that's obviously where more of that revenue flow actually comes into play. Uh, But I think it's a valid argument on the G League side. Same for the Thunder though, because, you know, this is a spot that really prioritizes player development and it allows the big, the big league to really get the most out of what the system would end up being. Sounds like though, they just want to have it to where, um, you know, the blue are able to have that, uh, you know, center court logo. And there's kind of that committed fan base before playing with the blue. I think they started in the Cox convention center in 2014. They were in Tulsa uh, for the Tulsa 66ers. And I used to catch those games. So fun to watch those dude. I, I remember thinking, of like the Cole Aldridge signing tables or Lazar Hayward might have been down there some games. You're able to learn a lot about um, the G League. Mustafa Shakur was down there too. Like just, just so fun um, seeing those players develop and such. But there was kind of that like that base and you had the arena um, and you also had like a bouncy house behind one of the, the goals which brought in the kids, right? Then you just had the fans in general. It made it a really good experience, and maybe that's what the the G League would like to replicate. Those games in Tulsa, though, were not at 11 a.m. and 12 p.m. They were at more modest times where, you know, your guy working a 9-to-5 would be able to catch them more often, and I think that's kind of the direction they'd like to go to. It it makes it difficult um, to kind of schedule when all these games are so early because it doesn't really help you for, like, you could put it on ESPN+, Plus, but for the most part, you're going to put those on the gleague.com website where it's just a YouTube link, and it doesn't give you as much attention as you know maybe putting it at a different time. So they clearly want to see them move out. I think that the Thunder have a really good point in saying they want to keep it close to home. They've utilized that assignment system so much the last two seasons. I'm sure they continue to do that. 
And as Presti said earlier, they love to go in-house. They want to evaluate these players to where it's almost like a minor league soccer club um, where you're able to really just top to bottom have your you know your NBA scouts looking at the G League guys, the G League coaches being able to look up and the NBA practices where really everybody benefits and it's kind of all one system. If you end up moving this blue team away to a different state, it's not going to give you that same impact. You're not going to have the coaches going back and forth. It's not going to be an easy drive, and that does hurt you. So they want to keep it close. The issue is the just infrastructure in Oklahoma City because there's not that many arenas that can hold the, th- the blue um, consistently. And the one that they were using in the Cox Convention Center actually got sold off to Prairie Surf Studios in January of last year. So that's not meant for basketball games anymore. That is a full-on studio. So you can't be playing basketball games. They threw out the idea of building a complex. I think that if I were to propose a deal to the G League, I would say, hey, we're going to get this building done in Oklahoma City in the next however many years, one to two years. During that time, though, we need to stay at the Paycom Center. I'm sure they've thrown that out if they've thrown out the idea of building a new complex. If they're not able to get that done, maybe there's a year or two where they have to go astray. I think they'd probably want to stay in Oklahoma. We'd see how that shakes out. Another funny thing, the reason they moved out of Tulsa, or at least one of the reasons, was that building actually got sold off again. I think it's a mega church now. Um, so a lot of this comes down to just like where the ownership lies in these types of facilities. I really hope it sticks in OKC. I was not able to make as many games this year as I would have liked. I would be covering a lot of blue games down there. Uh, if I was able to make that drive and if they stick around in OKC. And for you guys that have been dedicated to the G League talk, I want to get you guys on with it. Blue have been very, very fun. I'm going to keep you guys in touch all summer long on where the other players are going, who's going to be coming into the mix, and kind of what to watch out for going into next season. Same goes for the Oklahoma City Thunder. Want to stay tuned with the OKC Blue action? Check out the NBL next week or two. You're going to see Antonius Cleveland suited up for the Illawarra Hawks. He's been one of their best players, and there's only four teams in the NBL Finals. It's kind of one of those things where it's uh, like a semifinal going into a best of, I think, five series in the finals. So root for the Hawks, see how they do, and I'll definitely get you guys the scoop if you're not able to catch those games. But other than that, though, guys, that is going to do it for today's episode. I thank you all for listening, and I will talk to you all next time. See ya.